Hello, vampires and slayers. This is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? To which the answer to that question is every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer exactly 20 years after its original air date, which means we fucking finally get to talk about goddamn earshot. So this is the episode that, hey, first of all, I'm so sorry that I haven't recorded a single freaking podcast episode. Let's just go ahead and get that, like, the the business shit out of the way for a few minutes before we talk about the episode. Um, you know, as longtime listeners will know, I normally don't, even though we have gaps in the summer and other gaps throughout the year because of the nature of this podcast... I don't usually leave you guys completely alone for long stretches. I usually at least come and talk to you about some other pop culture thing that I love or give you like some stupid ass personal update in my life. <laughs> um, but this summer I just did not. I have not posted an episode for over two months. Um, let's see. Yeah, because it was like July 15th was the last time we had an episode to talk about. It's just been crazy. And before that, there was several weeks or a month or something. It's been nuts. But, okay. So, what's been going on with me? Um, do I have a good excuse for leaving you guys alone for two full months? Not really. I mean, I kind of have an excuse, but not really. Like, I did do something <laughs> that um, is a big deal for me. Um, it may not be of interest. I have so many different interests, you know, guys, like <laughs> I have a mostly ASMR YouTube channel. I do a weekly radio show called Mixtress Radio, where I basically just do like feminist rants about pop culture and just like talk about really basic ass shit going on in my own life. It's a very personal radio show um, that I do every week. And then I have, um, so that's the YouTube, that's the radio. Um, and then I have this Buffy podcast. And then I also just started a tarot business, essentially. I mean, that's kind of like making it sound more important than it is to call it a tarot business. But it's just basically I opened an Etsy shop. So to do tarot readings through the Etsy shop. And I'm really excited. It took me a long time to get the shop set up and I got business cards printed. And so this is just like a little, a little promotional moment. I'll probably bring it up occasionally. Um, because you know, they're, I mean, <laughs> I have a lot of disparate interests, you know, Buffy, the vampire slayer, tarot, corsets, belly dancing, um, <laughs> feminism, like all these, um, they overlap in my brain. So they might overlap in yours too. So if you happen to be one of those people that is simultaneously, um, listening to this podcast because you're interested in Buffy, but you're also kind of a witchy person that enjoys tarot readings for right now on my Etsy shop, um, at least through the month of September. And I'm probably going to actually extend that possibly even through the end of the year. Um, I have 50% off all of my readings. So I have several readings listed on there. And then if you have like a request for like a specific, like a different kind of reading, I would definitely honor that as well. I wonder if I can put up that 
let me write that down. Maybe I can make like some sort of like custom listing Etsy thing that like, you know, I can put on there. Hold on. Okay. I've been trying to think of ideas of like uh, more reading options I can put on there for people. But um, if you're interested in having a tarot reading from me, um, they're all 50% off right now. And um, you'd be supporting me and I would be so, so, so grateful. And um, I do, essentially I do audio readings um, if you want um, special request of a video reading. I'm thinking about, oh my God, I just had this idea the other day <laughs> that um, I could offer a special reading. I really enjoy hanging out in cemeteries. I've always really enjoyed hanging out in cemeteries. And I thought, hey, I could do like a, any of my readings for like an extra $10. I could film in a cemetery. I could do the reading in a cemetery, film it in the cemetery, and that would just add an extra little, especially at this time of year, you know, since it's almost fall, um, add a special little spooky element to it. Sorry, I had to pause and write that down. <laughs> so I've just basically, my tarot history, just since I haven't talked about it very much on this podcast, since this is a Buffy podcast, and I won't spend too much time on it right now either, don't worry. Um, this is just like, you know how Mark Maron talks about his own life for like 20 minutes before he actually <laughs> does the interview with the person. Um, you know, there's going to be people that are interested in that. I'm always interested in Mark Maron's weird ass, uh, shit at the beginning of his podcast. But, um, so there are going to be some people that skip ahead and that's fine too. Anyway, I have been just like super obsessing about tarot and researching it really fully. It has been, I'm an, I'm autistic. So like I have that whole thing of like a special interest and it has been my special interest this year and I've been obsessing about it. And that might even be part of the reason unintentionally that I haven't recorded any extra podcasts for you guys this year, because this podcast is not about tarot and I don't want to start getting real mystical on your asses when you came here for Buffy. Um, you know, that I just, it, <sighs> It's hard for me to like keep those things separate. I'm so Cordelia, you know, <laughs> I say exactly what's in my head. Um, but anyway, if you're interested, all my readings are 50% off for the foreseeable future. So you can get an hour, um, an hour long reading for $20, or you can get a half hour reading for $12.50 right now. Um, so it's a pretty good deal. I do go pretty deep into it. I not only do like, if you're doing if you pay for an hour reading, I will do a 10 card spread and I'll also pick like an animal spirit card for you and a goddess card for you and usually other oracle cards as well. I'm probably going to start using, because it is now the end of September, I'm probably going to start using my Halloween oracle deck um, in readings just for fun. Um, and I really, really enjoy doing it. So I would love to do readings for you guys. So if you're interested, it is, um, the link for it is etsy.com slash shop slash mixtress tarot, M-I-X-T-R-E-S-S-T-A-R-O-T. And I will also have that link in the description notes if you're interested. So just had to pimp my new tarot business a little bit because I'm really excited about doing readings for people and I'm just still getting started on that. Um, so not a lot of people know about it yet and I have to learn to fucking promote myself. So there's that. Okay. So let's talk about fucking earshot. You guys, it was, first of all, it was really strange. I've never actually, 
I was already watching the show at this point, I think, when it first aired, but I don't actually remember what it felt like to not see this episode, and then when I finally did see it, it was way out of context. Actually, um, we had like a weird thing, and 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 I've I mentioned it all the time. But I was already watching Buffy. I started watching it during season three, when it was actually airing back in 1999. I was like a sophomore or junior in high school, one of those, when season three was on, and I sometime during the summer there was like some network switch thing that made it so Buffy did not air in my town again until the beginning of season six. So it's quite possible I never saw Earshot. It's possible I didn't see it until, you know, I was seeing reruns when I started watching season six again. It's quite possible because I didn't see a single episode of Buffy between the end of season three and the beginning of season six. <laughs> because I just, you know, it just wasn't available to me and I'm I'm too much of a squirrel brain person to have actually, I probably could have done some research and figured out how to see the episodes. And I did like the show, but I wasn't, I wasn't honed in to television at that time in my life. I watched MTV. I cared about music videos, but like TV shows were just kind of something that if they were on and I liked them, I'd watch them kind of thing. You know, I wasn't committed to any particular TV show, even though I did like Buffy. Um, okay. Let's get into this. Okay. It's like, I, it's almost like I forgot how to do this because it's been so long. <laughs> um, but let's just get some more business out of the way. Um, this is kind of, we're going back. We're going back in right now. So we're talking about earshot today. Um, and then two weeks from today, October 5th is the premiere of season four and once we get into that, just so you guys know, we're going from drought to like fricking flood because one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11. In the next 11 weeks, we'll be talking about starting with October 5th, 5th, the next 11 weeks, we'll be talking about 10 episodes. There's only one week in the next 11 weeks, starting with October 5th, that there's not an episode to talk about. So we're going to be heavy in. We're gonna, Every single Saturday, I'll be bringing you a new episode from season four. And in case you forgot, which I wouldn't blame you if you have, because we haven't, you know, been able to talk much lately. Um, I am going to also start talking about, because season, the October 5th, the season premiere of, of season four of Buffy was also the series premiere of Angel. And I am going to start having like a segment with Angel just to let you know the kind of involvement I'm going to have with Angel. Angel is definitely not high on my list of favorite TV shows. I do own the entire series and there are some um, story arcs in that series that I'm going to pay a lot of attention to once we get there. And I do want to give it the same 20 years later treatment of watching each, each episode as it, as it aired 20 years later. I do want to do that. And I do want to talk about it because it's part of the Buffy verse. And I think it will be interesting to talk about because I've never done that. And I've kind of wanted to do that for a long time. Like, 
because they aired on the same night, I it's going to kind of enhance the Buffy watching experience to me to be able to watch Angel at the same time. Um, because I was not doing that back then, obviously, because I didn't even get to watch Buffy through all of season four and season five because it wasn't available in my town. Or with a certain cable plan we had, it might have been available in our town. I don't know. I didn't have it available to me. So, um, what I'm going to do, what I typically do with Buffy when it comes to my research, since I'm a process queen, I'm going to share that with you. Um, I typically, I will listen to the, um, Buffering the Vampire Slayer podcast episode. I did not do that with Earshot. I totally planned to, and then it just didn't happen. So I don't have that little bit of research in my repertoire for this particular episode, but I usually listen to that sometime during the week. Um, I will watch the episode on Thursday nights with my mom, just watching it, not taking any notes. And I'll watch it again the day of the podcast and I will take copious notes and do all my research and all that stuff. The way that I'm planning to approach Angel is that I am going to um, watch it with my mom on Thursday nights and take notes as it's going. Like usually when I take notes by myself, I will pause to take the notes and then resume. So it takes me like, you know, an hour and a half to watch one episode. But with Angel, I think I'm just going to take notes as I go, keep them pretty light. Um, I might still do the ratings for the Angel episodes. I probably will at least do the five by five ratings. I might not go so deep in that I do object quote, MVP, outfit, all that stuff. Um, I might just like give it a quote if there happens to be a really great standout quote in that particular episode. I'm just not going to go as deep into it. I'm not going to watch the episode more than once. I am probably going to listen to the um, Angel on Top podcast because it's going to be interesting because I have watched Angel like all the way through maybe twice. And the only way I ever watched Angel was I just bought the whole series whenever it came out and I just watched it on DVD. Um, I think I watched season five as it was airing. Um, that's the final Angel season um, because at that point Buffy was over. So I did watch it as it was airing. But um, that's the only season of Angel I watched as it was airing. And I had no fucking context for what had happened before that, really, because I didn't start walk watching before that. Um, so, yeah, that's just I am going to have like a little Angel segment, but I'm not going to be I'm going to try to keep it brief. Although, you know how I am, like most likely the podcast episodes are going to become much longer because of the angel segment. Like what I would ideally like to do is only talk about each angel episode for 10 or 15 minutes, but it might end up being longer. Um, but I'm not going to do as much heavy research on it. Um, I just thought to myself, okay, I need to make another note. I think, um, the woman that created the bite me episode guide, I forgot her name. Let me look. Nikki Stafford. Stafford. I always, I always want to say Strafford, but it's Stafford. Nikki Stafford that did my favorite Buffy episode guide. Um, she, I believe she also did an Angel episode guide. If she did, I will buy that book 
um, just to have it as a little bit of research. Um, I'm not going to start buying angel books because I don't really care about angel <laughs> analysis as a whole. Um, I do think it's a far inferior show to Buffy, um, but it's going to be interesting because I've only watched it all the way through twice. See, watching it through the lens of like taking notes and really thinking about it in the way that I do with Buffy, even though I'm not going to go quite as deep, is going to be interesting. Like, it's either going to bring a new love for that show and I'm going to appreciate it in a way that I never have before, or it's going to make me fucking hate it. So I'm just going to go ahead and say right now, I make no promises that I'm going to continue this project with the level of dedication that I've put towards Buffy. I mean, obviously I'm not going to do it with that level, but my current plan is to watch the Angel series, the whole series, which means we'll continue this podcast for a year after the, um, the Buffy show ends. But if I'm not really engaged with that, I'm not going to stick to it. I'm not going to stick to the Angel analysis. I'm not going to watch every episode of Angel 20 years after its original air date because I'm going to watch it a couple days before and I'm not going to watch it again on the day because that's going to... Right now, on a Buffy day, um, on a Buffy air date day, it's a big day because I have to watch the episode and take notes, do research, record the podcast, edit the podcast, upload the podcast. I try to do that all in one day and that does take several hours and adding Angel to that, I'm, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm not going to do all that with Angel. I'm not going to give it that much time. Um, you guys probably don't care exactly how I'm going to do it, but just so you know, it's going to be like half the amount of research it's going to be more like a third the amount of research and thought being put into Angel. But I will have an Angel segment. It will not be a separate episode, but I will be talking about it because I think that it will be relevant to our discussions about Buffy. There are certain um, story arcs, like I said, there are some crossovers. There's a big faith story arc on Angel. And when that happens, I will be giving... Angel a lot more time. I might even have separate episodes when we talk about those particular episodes because, you know, Faith is important and she actually gets some time on Angel. Um, she's one of the only reasons why I own the Angel series uh, at this point um, because of, you know, a little crossover. There's not very many crossover moments um, because eventually the two shows ended up on two separate ne networks, so they couldn't do, there were like zero crossovers between Angel and Buffy. The last, I think, two or three season of, seasons of Buffy, I think it was only like season four that you really get any crossovers. So this first year of talking about Angel, it's going to be a little bit intense and then it'll kind of drop off and it'll just be like a little segment, if that makes sense. <laughs> I don't know why. I, I want to warn you guys about exactly how it's going to be with the angel discussion. Um, even though I don't know how it's going to be because we're going to fucking figure it out together. But um, just talking about it out loud means that I'm thinking about how I'm going to do it. <laughs> okay, let's fucking talk about earshot, shall we? 20 minutes of the episode, we're ready to get started. Let me take a little water break. Okay, so first um, let's consult the Bite Me episode guide. Um for because I like her little um, summations of the episodes at the beginning because it's always just like one sentence, very short and sweet. 
When Buffy touches the blood of a demon, she gains the ability to hear people's thoughts. There it is. Plot summary. Okay, let's get into my notes. Um, my first note is pretty good, no-nonsense opening fight sequence. I really like this. There's like really no fight choreography whatsoever in this particular. So the episode opens with Buffy fighting some demons and it's real quick. She, she does a couple of little quips. She's wearing some ugly, like athletic pants and a sweatshirt, which I enjoy just because, you know, that's what Buffy would throw on just like some sloppy, like whatever her goddamn pajamas essentially to go out and patrol at night. That makes sense to me. She's in a playground and she's fighting these two demon guys. She really quickly, like it's a, you know, less than 30 second fight sequence. She dispatches one of them. The other one runs off. Um, and then the next morning at school, she's telling Willow about it. And Willow says, I don't like this whole no mouth thing. It's disquieting. <laughs> this episode was written by Jane Espenson, which is great. Um, at this point, she's a pretty regular part of the writing cast, and she gets more and more responsibility as the series goes on. And she is, like, you think about all the really cool, nerdy moments in Buffy, it's all thanks to Jane Espenson. You know, any, like, Jonathan-heavy episode is going to be thanks to Jane Espenson. In fact, I wanted to check and see if... Let me consult the book here. You guys are going to have to listen to me flip through pages and consult the book. Um, I'd never look at the index in this book. I know it's next season that we have Superstar, right? Yes, okay. Um, Superstar is the episode next season with Jonathan where he, like, has put a spell on everyone and they all, like, think that he's, like, the number one most, like, celebrityist of all and it is written by Jane Espenson. I had to check but there's a little bit of like a, a portent like I think at this point she already knew that she was gonna be writing that episode or she already had written this the first draft of that episode or something because there's this moment where Willow is interrogating Jonathan in this episode where she starts saying shit like we all want people to pay attention to us, don't we? We want everyone to think that we're, like, the best. And, like, just the way that she's wording all of it, which I'm heavily paraphrasing, obviously, um, is, like, is a total foreshadowing moment for season four's Superstar, which is kind of funny. Um, which is a cool little bit of continuity right there. My next note is Wesley and Giles swinging their dicks around. Everyone hates Wesley. So they're talking, they, they just have at the very beginning of the episode, just to throw it in there, they have this tiny little mayor conversation, which is basically Giles doesn't know shit. Um, it's weird to watch this episode out of context. I've never done that before. Um, because at this point, you know, we have already seen graduation day. Like everything has happened. The Ascension's already happened. We know what happens with Faye. She's in a fucking coma now, you know, like it's weird to go back and see them still struggling with these things. And this episode takes place right after that, like whole angel pretends to be bad to out faith, faith's badness level plot point. 
Um, when I watched it with my mom, we watched it on Hulu and it had like the whole previously on Buffy, which is really helpful. Like if for some reason you're listening to the, you're doing this project with me and you listen to me talk about the episode before you watch it, if you have the option to watch it on a streaming service or with the previously on Buffy thing in front of it, that's helpful since we're watching this episode out of context. Um... Which, by the way, if any of you actually are doing that, I would love to know if there's anybody, like, doing this ridiculous 20 years later project with me. Um, it would be so validating to hear that from you guys. Like, just saying. I hope someone's doing that with me. Okay. Um, so, and it's also right after um, Buffy has quit the council because Giles got fired from the council. So there's still sort of that tension of like, Wesley's hanging around, but no one trusts him yet. Um, which is kind of taking a couple steps back. Um, I know the first little chunk of Angel, we don't see Wesley. I don't think Wesley comes in until like maybe the middle of season one. I can't remember. Like I said, I haven't seen Angel very many times, so I don't remember. But, um... I am so excited. That's one of the things I'm excited to watch because Wesley's character arc is one of the reasons that Angel, the series, exists to me. Um, he really gets a good story arc. And so, like, it's it's almost makes me sad to see them so disrespectful towards Wesley, but it makes sense because they view him as a symbol of the council because he's still working with them. Um, but you know, he's trying, he's already evolving. Um, anyway, and then the whole like Wesley and Cordelia bullshit, like we got to get past it. Now we have to go back to it. I mean, it's just so many like little triggering moments in this episode because we've already gotten past all these things, you know, even just seeing Angel and Buffy together for me is like a little triggering because we finally got to leave that behind. I just... I don't like them together. I like it when he shows up every once in a while to be supportive of Buffy when she's going through something. I like the little crossovers that happen in the future, but for the most part, I am so glad to be done with him. You know, I thought season three was my favorite season simply because of Faith, but all the bullshit between Angel and Buffy in this season, like, I far preferred the angst of Angel being evil in season two. Um, I mean, it was painful, but it's almost more painful to see the two of them together. I'm, I apologies to anyone that's like a Bangel shipper, but I am not a Bangel shipper. <laughs> also not a Spuffy shipper. We'll talk about that. Like I really don't ship Buffy with anyone. Um, just don't. Okay. <laughs> Getting off on tangents. That's what I do though. That's what you guys are here for, right? Um, you'd be listening to much better Buffy recap podcasts. Um, if you, didn't like my stupid side notes. Maybe you listen to those too. Probably you do. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this one as well. I very much appreciate it. You guys, like, seriously, I couldn't do this if you weren't listening. So it makes me incredibly happy that people are listening to my nonsense, you know? <laughs> anyway, love you guys. Okay, next note. Buffy's dealing with faith aftermath. Um... SMG scratching her hand constantly. So she's, I mean, we all know Sarah Michelle Gellar is a great actress. Like, we wouldn't be talking about this show if she wasn't. Um, but, like, just the whole time she's talking to Willow about different shit, she's just, like, scratching her hand because she has, you know, the demon, like, like some of its ooze got on her or something. I don't know. Um, 
let's see. Um, then they're watching the cheerleaders. This, there's like this whole subplot of like the basketball team's doing really good right now. And Cordelia's been, um, I guess it's a way to pull Cordelia into the plot because she's cheerleading during this episode and she's talking about how great the basketball team has been doing and she's been cheering harder than she's ever cheered in her life and she still has knee marks on her back and all this shit. But like, I don't know. I don't, there's a lot of like weird sports crap going on in this episode, which is fine, I guess. But anyway, um, so they, Buffy sort of comments, this is really lame, isn't it? And Oz says, I usually enjoy lameness and this is leaving me kind of cold. So Oz gets like all the great lines in this episode and there really are some great lines. Like this is not an episode to skip, you know, this is not an episode we should have to go back to two months later. Um, but yep, that's how it is. Oh God. Okay. We have to talk about this. Hopefully I can just get it all out in one little five minute rant and we can move on. I'm adding a new category, not forever, but at least for this episode, anti-most valuable player. The anti-MVP of this episode is Xander. He is the actual worst in this episode. Like, every single thing that he does pisses me off in this episode. Like, I fucking hate Xander in this episode. So his very, like, one of his very first things in this episode is... No, it wasn't him that said pseudo-prostitutes. I actually just wanted to attribute it to him because he makes me so pissed. Apparently, like, so they start talking about the newspaper dude right from the very beginning because he's like the red herring, essentially, um, of the episode. So Willow says something about, like, the, the school paper's gotten really dark lately and they're reading, like, headlines and stuff talking about, like, cheerleading being pseudo-prostitutes doing this blah, blah, blah mating ritual, blah, blah, blah. And calling, I mean, that's something that I totally would have done in high school, unfortunately, is call cheerleaders pseudo-prostitutes. But, ugh, it just sounds gross now in 2019, doesn't it? It really does. Um, so my, my note was, pseudo-prostitutes? Really? <laughs> I thought it was funny that Willow, okay, wait, we're doing the anti-MVP Xander rant. So let's just get it out of the way. So hopefully I can move on. So Xander is awful in this episode. Like he's leering at the cheerleaders and he's sort of talking to Oz about like all these healthy young women. Like why did I ever waste any time on Cordelia? Blah, blah, blah. And Oz starts to say, well, none of them are really my, you know, my type, whatever. Cause that's supposed to be, that's supposed to be a good thing, you know? And I would have seen that as a good thing back then. Um, that Oz is not interested in cheerleaders. Um, and then the whole time that they're like investigating, like somebody's going to like shoot up the school or something whenever they get to that point and they're all like interviewing people and blah, blah, blah. Xander doesn't take anything seriously. Like he's literally interviewing women in the school about their likes and dislikes with dates or something. He's not actually focusing on trying to do, they're trying to like profile some of the kids and like figure out who might be planning this. Um, cause they assume someone's going to shoot up the school. They assume that's what it is when Buffy hears the thought of, I'm going to kill you all by this time tomorrow. And, um, 
he's not doing his research. He, when he's walking through the cafeteria, he gets distracted by Jello, which we're supposed to think is cute and endearing. And he's an asshole because he's not focusing on anything but himself. But I realized by the end of the episode that Cordelia's doing the same thing, but I like Cordelia, so I give her a pass. But Xander is awful. Oh, I guess I can't do it all in one rant because I'm not thinking of every single example, which I have written down. So once we get there, I'll have to rant about it at that point. So whatever. Here we go. Let's move on. I think it's funny that Willow, when she was talking to um, Buffy, she says, Giles is totally burnt. <laughs> and I think what she meant was that he was burnt out. But I've just like never heard that before. <laughs> Giles is totally burnt. Um, just also a fun little side note. The Giles's minty mug gets several appearances in this episode. <laughs> and it really does. Like, it's one of the, my, you know, objects of affection, um, obviously. And it's one of the ones that I've been able to acquire in my life. I have a minty mug, thanks to my mom and my aunt who, like, found it for me at an antique store and got it for me. And at first, when I first saw it I thought it wasn't the same but I think it is exactly the same actually so I use my minty mug like almost every or definitely every week but I use it like several times a week actually um okay Angel knows about aspect of the demon oh my my next note was Willow is invalidating Buffy's pain because you know like Buffy is worried because she's gonna get Giles has told her that like her itchy hand it might actually be she might have been infected by an aspect of the demon and they don't know how that's going to manifest yet so she's worrying that she's going to get horns or a tail or scales or something obviously like why wouldn't she be worried about that and Willow's just sort of like not listening to her like as she's talking about this with her um and she's just ignoring her and like paying attention to cheerleading and shit and you know not really listening to her and I, I just found that kind of bothersome although we get several moments in this episode of like Buffy and Willow being friends which is nice so thank you Jane, Jane Espenson for that because we don't get enough of those little moments this episode really makes it seem like they're close and they talk all the time you know, because Buffy has a lot of conversations about what she's going through that she's specifically directing towards Willow. And so it really makes it seem like they're good friends. And sometimes we're just supposed to take that for, we're supposed to take that for granted always, but we don't always see examples of them actually interacting one-on-one. -on -one. And this episode actually gives us several moments of that, which is really cool, I think. Um... Angel knows about so she talks about talks to Angel late in the episode she's being really weird because that whole thing had just happened with um, Angel and Faith and she's not directly asking him about it or telling him how she feels about it but of course he can tell so she's just being kind of like weird and evasive and um, he's just reassuring her throughout this episode and he says some like empty platitudes I think which kind of bothered me like he tells her, no matter what, I'll always be with you. When it's like literally the episode after this, I think. Is the next episode the prom? The next episode is Choices. So two, literally two episodes later, if we were watching this in context, um, in story arc context, he would be leaving her. And he tells her he, he would always be with her when two weeks later he's going to leave her. 
which just pisses me off. There's the whole, this whole thing that they do, they do in lots of different pieces of pop culture. Anytime pop culture is set in a high school, they're going to have like some kind of lesson in literature class about Shakespeare and blah, blah, blah. And I don't even know if a fellow is Shakespeare and I don't even care to look it up. So I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry for all you literary scholars out there, but I've never read Shakespeare and I'm not interested. And sorry, sorry about it. I guess I know that like the plots of Shakespeare are important to like you know, our cult, our, our pop culture history, especially because everybody fucking borrows from Shakespeare. But I don't know. I'm just more interested in borrowing from Jane Austen. You know what I'm saying? Um, so they do that whole, like, in a classroom, they're, like, telling the, like, you know, the deep meanings of the episode. They're talking about through the story of Othello, and they're talking about it in class. And Buffy's using her new, she's just discovered that she can read minds at this point. And she's using that to, like, answer all the questions in class. Which I do kind of enjoy just thinking, it, thinking of it from that aspect. That, like, she's using being able to read a teacher's thoughts to her advantage by answering all the questions. And that that is a cute moment to me because Buffy has always kind of had some academic jealousy. Like, she really wants... I think she wants to be smart and academic and have time to study and all that stuff, which is not something that she even necessarily like shares with people that she has that wish. But we kind of see that manifest in season four. Where she actually becomes a good student for a while at the beginning of college and she really enjoys it. And this is just a sweet little moment that is kind of an insight into her character that it's actually important to her to have like intellectual discourse with teachers and she has to do it in sort of this sneaky way of reading her teacher's mind because she doesn't actually have the time to do the reading and like um research and all that stuff because she has to patrol every goddamn night so like one of the things that Buffy misses out on in life like we see her like ruminating about um, missing on, out on like a social life and, and career opportunities and that kind of stuff. But we don't really see her talk about how she misses out on intellectual and academic opportunities because of her slayerness. But I think this was just a kind of a sweet little nod to that almost, even if it wasn't intentional. Um, I just thought, you know, like back in school, I wouldn't have used reading someone's mind in order to impress a teacher or try to have intellectual discourse with a teacher, probably, because I didn't give a shit about that stuff at that time. But it's just cool that that's a priority for Buffy. Once she starts being able to read people's minds, she wants to read her teacher's mind. Um, and she digs into her head, into her like dissertation, you know, and all that stuff. And it's just cool. So I guess we're supposed to like get some sort of like bigger themes of the episode from the plot of Othello that they're talking about in this scene, but I didn't really, I don't know Shakespeare, even it might not even, I'm going to sound like such an idiot if this isn't Shakespeare, but I just, <sighs> fine, I'll look it up. Okay. Yes, of course it's fucking Shakespeare. Okay. Why did I doubt myself? Sorry. I have a, um, a Ravenclaw mom, but I am not a Ravenclaw, that's for sure. <laughs> I am definitely Slytherin. I just like defiantly refuse to look up whether or not Shakespeare. That's, that's so Slytherin, right? Okay. Um, okay. So I think what we're supposed to get from this is like, there's this whole quote about how, um, 
Othello turns on Desdemona immediately after some revelation, thinking that she's cheated on him. And I think we're supposed to think, we're supposed to think all the narratives in the episodes leading up to and after the, all the little plot points that are surrounding this situation where Angel pretended to be bad for an episode in order to like get information intel from Faith, um, we're supposed to think that she's overreacting because she was disturbed by it. Of course she was fucking disturbed by it. She has PTSD surrounding the fact that her boyfriend went full, fully, sadistically, psych, psychopathy, psychopathically <laughs> evil last season. Like she has been through some shit and it is completely understandable that she would be having a hard time working through that. And the fact that they're not they're all collectively the storyline is invalidating Buffy's pain and it pisses me off because it totally makes sense that she would need a little bit of time it, she understands logically that like she was in on this plan she probably even suggested it like Angel went along with it to you know help her and but it totally makes sense that she would have, she would feel some type of way about it. It totally makes sense. And the storyline is just telling us at every turn that she's being unreasonable. She's playing games with him. She's overreacting. She's being an emotional teenager, but she's not. It just pisses me off. It's almost like all of the emotional depth and all of the like angst that they put Buffy through and, and, it's almost like the story, the like maybe the writers weren't actually intending for it to have the type of emotional impact that it actually had. It's almost like Sarah Michelle Gellar's performance was the thing that brought that, you know, just, just historically, like she, the way that she acts gives her emotions the weight that they should have but it's not the story that's doing it a lot of the time it is the story that's doing it but I think she takes it to another level that the story didn't mean for her to have I think Joss Whedon got real fucking lucky with her because I don't think he's actually as brilliant as everyone wants to think he is okay I'm only on I'm still on fucking page one okay 42 minutes in and I'm still on page one I need to need to calm down Okay, um, so she goes to, after this, like, classroom experience, she, like, skips out of school and goes to see Angel. She's had a conversation with Willow at some point where I think, like, she's, she's ruminating about, like, this whole thing with Faith, and Willow's just like, why don't you just talk to Angel? Like, he only has eyes for you. Talk to him. And, um... <clears throat> And she goes to talk to him, but really it's just because she can read minds now. So she's going to see what he's really thinking if she brings up faith in front of him. And she walks in and he doesn't even say hi to her. He's acting annoyed by her because it was like, I think she is waking him up because it's in the middle of the day and she starts, you know, she's like, I just wanted to come see you because, you know, people, you know, things can change. And I know I just saw you last night, but things can change really quickly. And like, you know, what about this whole faith thing and blah, blah, blah. And she's just talking and talking and just like looking at him. And he hasn't said shit to her. He doesn't say hi. He doesn't say good morning or something. He says nothing. And they're sitting down on the couch and she's going off on this little rant. And then he 
just immediately intuits. I mean, first of all, the writing with Angel is kind of inconsistent. Like at this point, he already, they already knew that he was going to have his own series, obviously. So they're, they're making him have more depth than he's ever had before. Like in the past, they've always shown him being just totally support character to Buffy. He's, he only thinks about her. He's a lost little puppy dog of love for her. But in the last you know, handful of episodes of the season, they portrayed him as having more depth, as being more mature, as being like kind of a funny guy that like sort of stumbles every once in a while. And isn't that cute? He's kind of clumsy. What? Like they were, it just, I don't like that they shifted his character simply to like make him cooler for his own show. Um, and the, just the fact that they upped his emotional maturity level like he's been like a 14 year old when it comes to emotional shit up until the last five episodes of season three where they've kind of made him mature and then he in this whole conversation he's just like once he finally starts talking he does say something cool it's just a cool quote um when he just like automatically intuits that she is trying to read his mind like he gets it immediately that she can read his mind that she can read people's minds and she just, and he just says, it's not going to work, Buffy. You can't get into my head. The thoughts are there, but they create no reflection in you. Um, just like the mirror, the thoughts are there. They create, but they create no reflection in you. And I just think that's kind of, that's kind of a cool little explanation, which I am okay. I'm on board with that cool little explanation of like, in this world, vampires don't have reflections. So obviously you wouldn't be able to read their thoughts. Which obviously also inspired, like, wasn't that a plot point in Twilight? Wasn't it like Edward, one of his, like, every vampire gets, like, a special skill or something? And wasn't it like Edward's thoughts? Edward's skill was that he could read people's thoughts, but he couldn't read Bella's thoughts. And that's why he liked her, because for some reason, her thoughts were not available to him. Um... Wasn't that a thing? I think that was a thing. God, that is like the only thing I'm truly ashamed of is that I read those goddamn books and watched the movies. Um, the movies, I mean, I'm not really ashamed that I watched the movies, but the fact that I spent the time to read that entire fucking series and I really cannot fathom why I did that. Anyway. Okay. Let's finally go on to page two of my notes. I'm really not a binder person, you guys. I keep trying to be a binder person with this, with the notes, but I think I'm just going to go back to composition notebooks. Okay. And then he, okay. And then he continues by saying, you don't have to play games with me, Buffy, ever. I've been with dozens of girls like her, meeting Faith, more. I did the bad girl thing. I've, I've matured. It's like, when did you fucking mature, Angel Marie Larson? <laughs> what? <laughs> Sorry, Sagan, I didn't mean to use your last name right there. Oh, God. Okay. Angel Marie McGillicuddy. Like, what the fuck? When, when are you mature? And he just, like, you know, does this whole, like, super mature speech of, like, you know. I, in that hundreds of years, I've loved exactly one person. And like, he just reassures her saying that it didn't mean anything being with faith and blah, blah, blah. And like, blah. Anyway. And then at the end of this little conversation, 
they throw us another little nugget where their um, Buffy says something about immortality and Angel says, I'm dying to get rid of that. And Buffy's like, funny. Like, this is the first time Angel's ever made a joke, which probably is the first time Angel's ever made a joke. And then just deadpan, there's like a little pause and he just like looks straight into her eyes and he's like, I'm a funny guy. So I did like that little moment. Like, I would have been okay with that little moment because they're trying to make him, you know, have enough, enough depth to carry his own show. I don't know. I'm obviously going to be talking about that a lot since we're going to start talking about Angel, but it's a, it's a, there's a cognitive dissonance for me. The fact that he went straight from being lovesick Buffy puppy boy that doesn't think about anything but her to being a fully realized human being for no reason. I mean, I guess we're supposed to think that Buffy forced him into maturity. I think we're supposed to think that, but I don't feel like they've spent enough time on his character development to warrant that kind of abrupt of a shift. Anyway, I I get very distracted by character character development, of course. Like that's the whole reason why we're here. Um my next note is Cordelia's rising sign is Cordelia. <laughs> because, you know, it's this is just a cute scene when they're all in the library together and Buffy's hearing their thoughts one by one and just the different ways that that's handled. I think that was smart. Um, so for Cordelia, she says exactly what she thinks right after she thinks it. With Oz, he doesn't say anything, but he's having all these deep philosophical hits thoughts in his head, which let's go ahead and just read. I wrote down everything he said, which is the quote of the episode. So here it is. I am my thoughts. If they exist in her, Buffy contains everything that is me. She becomes me. I cease to exist. No one else exists either. Buffy is all of us. We think, therefore she is. Which I love. I love that. Um, I love it so much. That's just one of the best Oz lines, and he has the best lines in the whole series, but that's one of the very best of the best right there. Um, because it's so much more verbose than he normally is. So this is just so smart the way that they did this. Like, Oz is actually constantly having thoughts. Thoughts, 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 thoughts. What comes out of his mouth is only the tip of the iceberg of the, like, depth of Oz, which I love. Um, then Willow is the way that they dealt with Willow, what she's thinking versus what she's saying. She's like literally telling Buffy something. She's saying many words to Buffy, but thinking something opposite. Like she's reassuring Buffy, being supportive friend coming out of her mouth, but inside her head, she's worrying that, you know, Buffy's not going to need her anymore. And like, she she can read Oz's thoughts and I don't know that much about Oz. She's going to know Oz better than me. And like, she's, she's on this full tilt anxiety track inside her head, but what's coming out of her mouth is completely opposite. So I think that's really smart too, because that's exactly how Willow would be. That's exactly congruent with her character that she would be just worrying. Um, but saying something completely opposite, you know, like <laughs> Willow is very much a masked person. And I love the fact that like, the only thing I think they kind of mishandled was, I love that Cordelia says exactly what she's thinking. But at this point, we should be getting some 
if they're going to be going so hard on the sudden emotional maturity level and depth of character of Angel, because he's about to have his own series, why aren't they doing with that with Cordelia? Because they already knew that she was going to be a big part of the Angel series, didn't they? But they're not giving her, I mean, they're having her hanging around, but they're not giving her any more depth. And I think it's interesting that in this scene, pretty much everybody is disturbed by Buffy. Like, Xander, oh, Xander's whole thing is he's thinking about sex constantly. And so he runs away because, you know, Buffy's like, is that all you think about? Um, and then he just runs away. Um, so everybody's reaction, and then Willow runs away because, like, Buffy's constantly trying to reassure Willow's anxieties that she's having within her thoughts. And so she's, I mean, of course, people would be cre creeped out by someone reading your thoughts. Of course. And everyone runs away. And Cordelia's the last one in the room, besides Wesley and Giles, who are just going to be there anyway, because they're in the library and they're going to do research and blah, blah, blah. Cordelia's the last one to leave because she's not at all disturbed by the fact that Buffy can read her thoughts. But they just never... I feel like this was a missed opportunity. I mean, I don't know exactly what they could have done within the time of this episode. But I feel like it was almost a missed opportunity that they could have had some kind of moment because Buffy could have somehow acknowledged that, like, in some small way, she could have acknowledged that Cordelia's not running away. She's fine with Buffy being able to read all of her thoughts. But the way I think the writing is supposed, is wanting us to engage with this, is that we're supposed to think that Cordelia is really very simple. She says what she thinks but she only thinks about herself. They could have given her this entire episode, like the only thoughts that she has are, I'm cold, when can I go? Um, whatever, whatever, whatever. It's all about her. And I think as we're about to see with Cordelia's very major character arc in Angel, she has a lot more than just this one note selfishness that they're giving her. I mean, we see a little bit of that depth. We saw a little bit of the depth of character in Cordelia back when she was dating Xander. But I just think that's such a missed opportunity that like we don't we don't ever see any kind of friendship develop between Buffy and Cordelia. And I don't think that makes sense. And I've, I've complained about it before. I feel like I complain about it every single episode that the only female friendship we are allowed to see with Buffy is Willow. That is it. We later get to see a tiny bit of friendship between Buffy and Tara that is very one-sided just because Tara happens to be a very intuitive person and empathetic person that notices when Buffy's in pain and sometimes Buffy goes to her. We just, we don't, we get to see her have friendships. We get to see her have like boyfriend relationships and we get to see her have a friendship with Xander and have a friendship with Willow. But I just like, why don't we get to see her ever like really connecting to another woman? Like we might see it like episodically. There might be like, you know, somebody that's the center of this particular episode. I mean, we do get it whenever we get to see her have a real, um, sisterhood sisterhood with um sister relationship with dawn but it's mostly because she is there to protect her you know it's a familial re relationship i don't know 
I just, watching the series again under this, like, microscopic lens is really making me sad for the lack of friendship between Cordelia and Buffy, because they're trying so desperately to have a reason for Cordelia to be in the room, and they decided that reason was that her and Wesley are attracted to each other. You know, the only reason for Cordelia to exist in this friend group is either because of Xander or because of Wesley, and that makes no sense to me when they could have had the reason be that Cordelia is actually motivated to fight evil because she actually is motivated to fight evil, but they are just so dismissive of her as a character and it just pisses me off. Anyway, <laughs> she is a great charisma carpenter is a great actress and she could have had a lot more to do and a lot more depth in this story arc. Um, anyway, we'll get to talk, we'll get to continue talking about Cordelia, you know, that's the great thing about us talking about Angel. <laughs> okay. Uh, Cordelia's not disturbed by this. Yeah, so that's where I... If this were truly a feminist show, Buffy would gravitate towards Cordelia because Cordelia's not disturbed by her being able to read her thoughts. And Cordelia, as they are portraying her, doesn't have a whole lot of thoughts. And the thoughts that she has are the thoughts that come out of her mouth. So you would think it would be comforting to be around Cordelia at this moment. It would be comforting to be around Angel because he, you know, creates no reflection of his thoughts. So she can, you know, have some quiet when she's around Angel and she can have some quiet when she's around Cordelia because Cordelia could just stop talking and she would be saying the same shit that she would be saying if she were saying it out loud, you know? Um, we could all um, learn something from Cordelia, I think. If I were making a Buffy Oracle deck, Cordelia's card, her keyword would be authenticity because she is you know exactly what you're getting with her and i just think that is just one of the coolest things anyway comparison to empathic people she hears the lunch lady saying that she's going to kill everybody of course they don't know it's the lunch lady at this point so she's in the caf buffy's in the cafeteria at this point willow picking leaves off a of buffy shirt okay um that's skipping ahead a little bit but so this moment where Buffy is in the cafeteria and she's hearing everyone's thoughts and she just like puts her hands over her ears and she's just hearing everything, hearing all of everyone's insecurities, like about tests and boys and, and inadequacies. And like all of this is very real and it's a very cool story that they're telling with this. Um, and it just reminded me of, if you think of yourself as a very empathic person or very empathy driven person. Um, and this is a thing that a lot of autistic people deal with. It's one of the reasons why we don't relate to other people very well. It's because we, um, usually our empathy is so high that like, it's hard to distinguish between people. It's hard to have closer relationships to some people than others because it's just like anyone that is in our sphere we are very sensitive to what they're feeling um and that can be you know on or off I think that's kind of opposite for autistic men Op autistic men tend to not think very much about how anyone else feels and autistic women seems to be the opposite so it just, that just sort of reminded me of how it feels for me personally. Anytime I'm in a crowd of people, it feels like Buffy feels in that moment. It's not quite that dramatic. And also it's, it's important to note that like what I, 
what I'm hearing as far, I feel like I can hear people's thoughts. Um, I feel like that, but I am perfectly, <laughs> I know that I'm not really hearing their thoughts. I'm hearing what I think their thoughts are, um, what I am projecting their thoughts to be. That's what I'm hearing. But it's one of the reasons why I, and the older I get, the worse this problem gets for me. I don't like being in crowds. Um, it's just, even today, like I had an invitation to go out to like this cultural thing in town. It's called Art Fest. I don't even know what it is. I think it's like a bunch of vendors and like people selling their art or whatever. But it would be like, most likely it would be like a festival type atmosphere and there'd probably be a lot of people and it's just the kind of thing that doesn't appeal to me at all whatsoever and I hate like turning down invitations to hang out with people that I care about but it's just like I just can't I can't do that it's not enjoyable to me whatsoever to be in a crowd of people and this I think they really got that right um as far as like I know I can't actually read people's thoughts but, you know, whenever you're constantly, when you're hyper vigilant about worrying about what people are going through, what they're not saying, that's why I like people like Cordelia. When you just, just tell me what you're going through so I don't have to try to read the signals because attempting to read someone's signals is very difficult. Um, and I get it wrong a lot as, as an autistic person, um, and I get so distracted by little things, you know, someone will have some kind of micro expression on their face and I'll think, oh my God, they're not okay. Why aren't they okay? What's going on? What are they not saying? You know, and it's just like, and I'm like that with every single person I pass. So it's just impossible to be in a crowd. And so I think this moment of just like getting louder, people's thoughts getting louder and louder, and they do a really good job of like, at first she can hear people's individual thoughts and attribute them to the person. Um, it's just like when she looks at someone, she can hear their thoughts, but then it just becomes more and more hyper intense where she can't, she can't distinguish anyone's thoughts from anyone else's anymore. And she just sort of like gets super overwhelmed and collapses on the floor. And I think that's a really like kind of nerve wracking, anxiety inducing scene. And I think they portray what that feels like really well. I don't know. I think so anyway. What do you guys think? Okay, here's the first time. So at that point she has collapsed and somehow her friends find her, I guess, and they take her outside and she's sort of like waking up, you know, like, I don't know, 50, 100 feet from the school. They're still like in the yard next to the parking lot, but they're outside of the school and she's waking up. And at this point she's isolated enough from everyone inside that she can just hear the thoughts of everyone around her, which is everybody. Um, Giles, Cordelia, Oz, Xander, Willow, Wesley might be there. I can't remember if he's in that scene or not. I don't think so. Maybe. Doesn't matter. But they're all like thinking, oh, she's waking up. Oh, and that's, that's a really good moment too, because when she opens her eyes, you're in her point of view and they're all looking down at her and like, oh, she's waking up. She's opening her eyes. Oh, she's good. She's okay. And then Cordelia thinks, I'm cold. <laughs> oh. And um, so at this point, she's just, you know, it's too much. And she actually starts running towards 
she says, like, somebody thought that they were going to kill everyone by this time tomorrow. We have until lunchtime tomorrow. Um, I need to find out who it is. And she starts charging towards the school like she normally would. But as soon as she, like, gets five feet closer to the school, she starts hearing everyone's thoughts. And she just, like, starts to collapse again. Like, it's just so much for her that all of her you know, physical faculty shut down. And I just, I, the way that they portrayed this, I don't know, this is a pretty good episode. Um, and here's where Xander says, who hasn't just idly thought about taking out the whole place with a semi-automatic? So that's the first, like, quote in the episode that's like, okay, I see exactly why they didn't air this a week after the Columbine shootings. Um, then there's another bit of commentary. So they convince Buffy, like, Giles takes Buffy home because she needs to rest. She needs to be away from people. She can't even be around people right now. And um, at this point, he's done research and he, there is a precedent for this. Like, someone else has had this particular aspect of this demon and they just went crazy. They couldn't be around people anymore. They just went nuts. Which begs the question, if they're really altruistic people, if they're really heroes, why is there no comment? They could have even just made a, a half-hearted comment at the end of this episode. You know, because they had to get, like, the heart of the demon to feed it to Buffy to, as an antidote for the hearing other people's thoughts. And they know that there's someone currently existing that is in complete agoraphobic isolation from all of humanity because he can hear everyone's thoughts and it's just driven him mad. They know that someone's currently going through that. Couldn't they take some of that like demon heart blood or whatever and send it to that guy? They know that he exists. Like, why didn't they save him too? I never thought about that before, but it makes me mad. <laughs> Like, what about him? He's going through something right now and he can use some help. Um, anyway, so they don't help him, but no one's thinking about him. Um, and then there's another, so they're, they're all back in the library, like trying to figure out like what they're going to do, like how are they going to figure out who this is? Cause she didn't know who it was. She could just hear that it was someone in the cafeteria. So they, she sends them all back in there to like make a list of everyone that was in the cafeteria at that time. And so they need to interview people. They need to kind of figure out who it would be based on psychological profiles and all this shit. And they're talking about it. And at some point Cordelia says, um, I think Oz said something like, or Xander said something like, I'm still trying to wrap my brain around the fact that somebody would gun us all down for no reason. And then Cordelia says, because that never happens in American high schools. And then Oz says it's bordering on trendy at this point. So, that is just like, wow. When you think about the fact that this episode was supposed to air exactly one week after the Columbine shootings. And in my memory, I think of the Columbine shootings as being like the catalyst when all that shit broke open, when school shootings started being more prevalent. But the fact that they're, I mean, obviously they recorded this weeks or months before it happened. The fact that they are putting that commentary into an episode of Buffy that that never happens in American high schools. It's bordering on trendy at this point before the Columbine shootings. That was kind of eye-opening to me. Just like, oh, okay. So, and then uh, my Michael, he looked it up of like how many school shootings and there's like a Wikipedia page of school shootings. And it's just, it is, don't look it up. It's, I mean, I'm the same effect is going to happen for me telling you, but it's extremely disheartening how huge the list is. So yeah, this shit has always been happening. As long as um, 
angsty kids going through a whole bunch of shit when their prefrontal cortexes are still forming and they don't know what's what. Since the beginning of time, there since the access, since adolescents have had access to firearms, they have been shooting each other and their teachers. And it's just, you're so volatile at that age that like, I mean, it's just, it's, it's not necessarily about it. The issue is not mental health. The issue is not, um, I don't know. It's, it's just about firearms. That's what it's about. It's about people having access to weapons. We just shouldn't, we just shouldn't like there's, if you're not using a weapon to hunt with, which I argue, like I'm not a hunter, but my argument is you should learn to use a fucking bow and arrow. If you're going to go out hunting, like I don't see any reason for citizens to have guns at all. Not a single one. Like you don't need to protect yourself against someone if no one has guns, you know, or if you want to learn some fucking self-defense combat or something, I don't know. Anyway, let's not go on the gun rant. Um, that's not what we're here for today. (laughs) What we're here for today is talking about how underserved Cordelia is as a character. (laughs) Welcome to what's this bitch talking about? To which the answer to that question is how underserved is Cordelia as a character? Um, because my next note is why aren't Oz and Cordy closer? They went through something together, you know, like, so they just have this tiny little like conversation, um, commentary on school shootings. And that just highlights for me, like whenever that whole thing, when Xander and Willow cheated on Oz and Cordelia together, I wish there would have been just, I mean, you don't have to even have to spend that much time on it for me to be happy. There should have just been a couple of little scenes of like, maybe Oz calls Cordelia on the phone. You know, that whole time that Xander was like stalking Cordelia, calling her every five minutes and she was crying in her bedroom while healing from a major injury. They could have had like a moment where Oz calls and since she's screening her calls, he knows she's screening her calls because they've been talking through some shit together, maybe. And she answers when he calls and they just kind of, they could have just had like a little bit of a friendship, you know, just a little bit of a, they hang out and have coffee together a few times while they're healing from the trauma of their significant others cheating with each other. Like no, no fucking funny business. Like I don't want a romance between Oz and Cordelia, but we could have had a little bit of a friendship there, but it was a missed opportunity again. Missed opportunity. <laughs> um, Buffy finds out that her mom and Giles had sex during band candy, which we all know, but she didn't know yet. Um, at some point, Cordelia says the quote, oh, please, like shame is something to be proud of. I <laughs> uh, just had to, you know, give a moment for that. Um, oh, there's this cute little commentary. So, Willow sends everybody out to interview the different kids that were in. I think she kind of profiles them in some way to like narrow down the kids that were in the cafeteria at the moment that Buffy heard the thought and people that might be more likely to, you know, be unstable in some way or something. So she sends them all out to interview different people, different kids. And, um, 
Oz goes to talk to this um, basketball player guy. And one of the questions that Willow has outlined for them to ask is, do you feel like the false persona that you've created for yourself, the guy that does everything right, puts, how much pressure do you think that puts on you to like, I don't know, project the false persona of yourself? And he says, I don't know, moderate. Do you think I'm getting this right? I, I want to get this right. Is that the right answer? And that's that was just a funny little commentary because, you know, like the false persona, the guy that gets everything right, like how much pressure do you feel to project that? And he's like, moderate, but wait, is that right? <laughs> I just thought that was funny. I'd never really gotten the little nuance of that until this watching. Um... My next note was Xander not doing his assignment. Like I mentioned before, he's just trying to use it to flirt with girls. Um, then we go to, we get to the like newspaper guy, the guy that writes all the sardonic um, episode or episodes, articles in the paper, in the school paper. And you see, he's got, he has like an office in the school, which no, but he does. He has his own little private office and he has all these framed newspaper articles that he wrote. And one of the headlines is apathy on the rise. No one cares. <laughs> also like object of the episode is this kid's office, honestly, because he has this tiny little office, um, has two entrances also. Um, it's like, uh, He's got a metal aircraft carrier desk, as my mom calls it. You know, one of those old school 50s, like super fucking heavy metal desks. He's got one of those. He's got like that perfect chair that goes with the metal desk. You know what I'm talking about. Green and gray. Mm, I want that desk chair. And also he's got an IBM Selectric um, typewriter and like a rotary phone. Like this kid is like straight from the forties. Like this must have looked dated even in 1999, the stuff that he was using. Like he was typing all of his newspaper articles on a t on an IBM Selectric in 1999, really? Okay. But just the style. So object of the episode, I guess I probably can't say his entire office setup. Um, I wouldn't be able to fit that gigantic metal desk into my tiny nook that I, it's a basically an oversized closet that I use for an office. I wouldn't be able to fit one of those in this room. Believe me, I've thought about it, but I would take his desk chair. <laughs> I already have a typewriter that I love. I don't need an IBM Selectric. Although I could have that as the object of the episode because I know my mom wants an IBM Selectric so I could give it to her. So if I could have two objects of the episode, it would be that chair for me and the IBM Selectric for my mom. Okay. So that's the object of the episode. Um, at one point they're like, we need the heart of the demon, but we can't get that without the Slayer. <laughs> and she's going to go crazy if we don't fix this. And Giles is freaking out. And obviously it's a transition to you're seeing Angel fighting the demon. And like my note was, why aren't they calling Angel? Like he's not evil at this point. He's we already have established that Giles and Angel have each other's phone numbers. He could call him real fucking quick. Like, and maybe he did, but I don't know why they have like this little moment of Giles freaking out that like they can't get the heart without the Slayer when obviously Angel could do it. And he does. Why didn't he call him? I don't know. Um, oh, just a kind of a sweet little thing. I really like the way that they choose to portray... Oh God, what is that kid's name? 
that kid that's gay that Xander talked to during the werewolf episode and we find out that he's gay and then he comes out and Frank, Harry, Larry, I think it's Larry. So if not, I'm sorry, but I think it is. I really like my note was non-stereotypical portrayal of a gay guy. Xander is so twitchy. So at this point, I think they still didn't know. They knew that in season four, there was going to be a whole character arc where either Xander or Willow was gay. Like Joss has spoken about that many times in interviews. And at this point, they didn't know which. I'm really glad that if like they were going to make the decision to only make one of them gay for some reason, like both of them could have been. I'm really glad they made the, the, the decision to make Willow gay instead of Xander because we don't need any more plots to be focused on fucking Xander. Just for that alone, I'm glad it wasn't him. But at this point, like every conversation that he has with Larry about coming out, which I think is only this, this one and then the one in the werewolf episode that was like two seasons ago or one season ago, I guess. Um, they portray Larry as being very like non-stereotypical like it's pretty cool actually like they don't show him dressing differently after he comes out they don't show him like acting flamboyant like they would normally in 1999 like portrayals of gay male characters were really over the top and were really problematic but his is not at all he's just like what you're talking about coming out oh yeah like i'm out like, I'm so out, my grandma's setting me up with guys. They don't portray him, typically, at this point in time especially, they would portray gay guys as automatically coming on really hard to any male in their presence. He never comes on to Xander, even though he believes that Xander is also gay because of the way that he talked to him during the werewolf episode if you remember he was sort of like i know what it feels like man because he was talking about his experiences as a hyena because <laughs> he they all thought that larry was the werewolf and so he was kind of talking about i know how it feels and larry thought he was talking about being gay because he wasn't a werewolf he was gay and he thought that was the context of the conversation and it was pretty well done and for some reason xander didn't like dispute this and even in this conversation he doesn't dispute it he's just sort of acting really twitchy and uncomfortable which makes you think that xander thinks he is gay which is odd because he only ever does think about naked women so i don't know that's just a weird little incongruence and in character right there but i do really appreciate the way that they portray larry um i really do actually that's just i wanted to give that a moment because it was kind of beautiful for 1999 the fact that he didn't come on to xander the fact that he wasn't dressed any differently than he ever was before you know he wasn't like suddenly dressed in glitter and wearing eyeliner and, and which is fine like i i love a flamboyant gay guy but the fact is not all of them are and larry is a portrayal of you know just somebody that you know he happens to be gay <laughs> like he's just portrayed as a gay guy and that's not the only thing you know about him like you also know that he's very heroic because he was like in the alternate reality episode he was one of the people fighting with oz and giles um you also know that he i don't know he's kind of insightful i mean you don't actually know that much about him but the fact that he doesn't come on to xander that he tries to like counsel xander in this moment he's like 
oh, you're still having a hard time with it because he thinks that, you know, Xander hasn't come out. And he's not going to out him either. Like, Larry doesn't out Xander when he thinks Xander is gay. That is really cool and progressive for 1999. And he's proud of being out and they don't portray him as having a lot of adjustment issues with that. They're just like, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm happy with myself. And, you know, it's just it's just nice. Let's just give a little moment to Larry because at this point we already know that he dies during graduation, which is very unfortunate because he was just a cute little side character that they could have done more with. Again, an underserved character. Um, okay. Then we see Jonathan in the clock tower. It is 10 a.m. because, you know, clock tower. Clock's right there. I will give them this. The, the time... I was paying attention to the time on the clock tower every single time we saw it. And it does progress forward. It's not inconsistent. However, we see him at 10 a.m. in the clock tower and he opens like the case and we see like a rifle that's in like 12 pieces. Um, and I'm like, um, Jonathan has a rifle, complicated one that takes hours to assemble because the next time we see him when Buffy goes to talk to him, it is 1220? 1210. It is 1210 p.m. when she goes to talk to him and he's just finishing putting that rifle together. <laughs> like, poor thing. Really had to, like, he had to, like, look up a YouTube video on how to put together a rifle and YouTube didn't exist yet. And videos on the internet were real fucking slow. And you couldn't have gotten an internet connection in the clock tower. I mean, he had to do all kinds of shit in order to make that happen. <laughs> This is just a funny little, like, really? It took two hours for him to put that thing together? Okay. Um, okay, let's get, where are we? IBM Selectric, Metal Aircraft Carrier Desk, Rotary Phone. I made the list of the things that I wanted in that newspaper kid's office. I don't even remember what his name was. He was named. He was a named character, but. Next note is Xander distracted by Jello. So he's still supposed to be, like, at this point, it is lunchtime. It is, like, D-Day. Which, first of all, why didn't they just, like, tell Snyder that, I mean, at this point, Snyder knows there's, like, supernatural shit going on in this town. He might have believed them if, at this point, doesn't he even know that Buffy's a slayer? I don't know, maybe not. But, like, he knows that there's some extraterrestrial shit going on in the world. So maybe he would believe them and they could evacuate the school so that they could actually prevent whatever's going on instead of just trying to do it all clandestinely, but whatever they don't. Um, and Xander's going to going into the place where it's supposed to happen in the cafeteria and he gets distracted by jello. And then he goes behind the scenes to get jello. Really? Like Jell-O's not that exciting. Come on, Xander. So this is where I go back to the Xander anti-MVP rant because he inadvertently, through no efforts of his own, saves the day, kind of, because he goes, because he's distracted by Jello, he goes back behind the scenes and he catches the lunch lady pouring rat poison into the giant vat. He has done absolutely nothing to help anything. He is an asshole and he could have actually, like, through his negligence, he could have caused, if there actually was, he could have caused everyone to, like, go down through his negligence. But instead, he accidentally 
in his neg- negligence and total disregard for, like, I mean, he's supposed to be part of a gang of heroes, you know? And he's awful. <laughs> and I don't like that he accidentally saves the day. Um, and I also don't like how whenever he finds out that she's pouring rat poison, like he, instead of like trying to get everyone's attention and like tell everyone at once, Hey everybody, oh my God, stop eating the food. He just goes and starts like flipping over tables and knocking over kids. Like he could have severely injured people in that process of trying to get everyone to stop eating. They're anyway, nitpicky, nitpicky, but there's like a much better way that he could have done that whole thing. Okay, I'm on my last page of notes, guys. The end is in sight. 12.10 p.m., Jonathan's still putting together Rifle. And here's where Buffy does the speech. This is really profound, I think. Um, I I think this is just a really important moment in television. And I think there's a a big missed opportunity in that. I mean, maybe they... I, I understand them deciding to postpone this episode in light of the Columbine shootings, but I think they could have done it differently. Instead of postponing it for months, they could have postponed it for maybe a couple weeks and they could have, they could have had like some sort of like recorded PSA thing with like maybe Sarah Michelle Gellar or something could have like before the episode started, she could have said in light of the Columbine shootings, weeks ago we decided to postpone this episode but we also think it's important to play this episode um and they could have talked about like mental health resources they could have talked about like hotlines they could have talked about hotlines that you could call if you think that um if you're thinking about harming yourself or others or if you know someone that's thinking about harming themselves or others you know they could have done something good with this instead of just like I don't know, just burying their heads in the sand by not airing this episode until like four months later. It's just, I, the way that they handled it was bad, which I'll get more into here in a second. Um, I have like a quote from the Bite Me um, episode guy that's really insightful that I want to read for you guys. But first, because this episode does deal with school shooting, so I understand like it being like triggering to happen right after, but... It also could have been healing because Buffy goes to the clock tower. She sees him putting together this rifle and she gives him this speech, which is very relevant. You know, this could have been like an after school special teaching moment if they could have still aired it. You know, if people would have just really dug in and saw the nuances of this whole thing and saw the opportunity to actually say something which is what they're doing with this episode anyway. They didn't know it was going to time perfectly with an actual school shooting but I mean, it could have been a piece of pop culture at a time when it was really needed. You know, people, you got to give some credit to viewers. People can be smart enough to understand this shit. A lot of the times people aren't smart enough to understand this shit. But anyway, so here's what Buffy says. I wrote it down. Like I didn't write down the entire speech, but I wrote down like the important parts because I just want to say it out loud because I think they're powerful words. So Jonathan's like, you don't even know who I am. Don't talk to me like we're friends. Like, you don't care about my pain, blah, blah, blah. And she basically says, no, I don't. I don't really even think about you. Honestly, my life happens to, on occasion, suck 
beyond the telling of it. Every single person down there is ignoring your pain because they're too busy with their own. And because they have the vantage point of being in the clock tower, she's like referring to the people down below. It looks quiet down there. It's not. It's deafening. And she, you know, talks about the popular ones and the nerds and, and everything. Like, they're all stuck in their own problems, which is a really important thing that I remember realizing at some point in my youth, maybe even after seeing Buffy say it. It's possible that that's the catalyst for me having this moment for myself. I don't know. Memory is very fallible. But I remember when I realized that. Or, or just remember realizing that at some point. I remember that. I remember that clicking into place and changing the way that I viewed everything. Whether it was Buffy that did that for me or just me realizing it on my own, I don't remember. But I remember that being so important. Like, oh, it's not just me. Like, when you realize that your own super complex internal world you think you're alone, you think you're a pariah, you think you're the only one that feels this way. When you realize that that's not true at all, it makes you feel so much more connected to everyone else and makes you automatically have empathy for everyone else. This is an episode that teaches empathy, empathy in a really important and impactful way. And they could have aired it at a time that people needed that, you know? Mm. Anyway. Yeah, let's go ahead. That's that's close enough to like the end of the episode that I want to go ahead and read this. Um, Nikki Stafford goes on kind of like a long philosophical rant about, you know, that exact thing, like that the network chose not to air it because of Columbine. And at the time, people were really freaking out. People were just misdirecting the blame for the fact that these kids killed some of their classmates and teachers. They were misdirecting that blame to the matrix. Um, Marilyn Manson, goth. Like I, and I was in high school at the time. I remember like after this trench coats were like, outlawed. You couldn't wear long coats at school because people were afraid you'd have guns underneath them simply because these kids wore trench coats. And like, it was a thing. And me being a goth kid myself, like there was a lot of hate targeted towards me and people like me and the things that I liked. And it was all like this terrible misdirection of blaming pop culture for, you know, just kids being unstable because they're unstable. It's just classic since since forever we have been misdirecting like what's really going on the fact that kids have access to guns we're misdirecting it towards their mental illness and all this other bullshit so here's the quote that it's it's long it's like two or three paragraphs so bear with me i'm gonna take a drink of water before i read it um where they're pointing out she's actually like listing all of these uh, all of these, it's, they're pointing out kind of the, the dissonance, cognitive dissonance, the hypocrisy of Buffy talking about everyone else's pain. This is a realization that I think she has just made herself, you know, where she's able, and this is kind of a turning point for Buffy too, because she does have more empathy from this moment on. If I remember correctly, like she does, this is like the first moment we really see her like counsel somebody 
but we see this happen more later in the series. Um, so anyway, here she lists all the times that everyone was awful to Jonathan. I think we need to give him a moment because it is people like Jonathan that would be, I mean, in this case, it was a lunch lady, but it really is people like Jonathan that would be most likely to have a school shooting, somebody that is bullied. So then she kind of talks about bullying and all the times everybody else has bullied Jonathan. Jonathan, the school nerd who has been bullied, is pushed to the brink. We've seen him accosted and then rejected by a beautiful woman, Inca Mummy Girl, treated like Cordelia's lapdog, Reptile Boy, held hostage by a police officer and then thrown aside with no one asking him if he's all right. What's my line part two? Treated like dirt by Xander when he wanted a library book, Passion. Bullied by school athletes and interrogated by Willow, Go Fish. Referred to as you by the dip by Buffy, who already knows his name but chooses not to use it. Dead Man's Party. Sucked up to by Buffy and Cordelia when they want his homecoming queen votes. Homecoming. And taunted by Harmony and company when they're teasing Cordelia about scraping the bottom of the barrel when dating. The Wish. And this is just the stuff we've seen on screen. We can only imagine what else has happened to him. After three years of being bullied by even the not-so-cool kids, Jonathan snaps, and the action he takes in this episode speaks volumes about the bullying problem in schools, far more than any right-wing parenting organization did at the time. But parents didn't take notice, the episode was pulled, and the media spent the summer arguing that we should discriminate against people in black trench coats. The episode finally aired on September 21st, 1999. Here we are, 20 years later, exactly. Two weeks before the season four premiere. So, as always, Nikki Stafford, I bow to you. You're getting it right. Like, she always just, like, it's... I have all these Buffy books. And nine times out of ten, like, it's a waste of time (laughs) whenever I'm looking up. Sometimes there'll be some really insightful shit about... A particular episode in one of my other books but if I could only keep one it would be this bite me episode guide it is so good um so I think that's really important that she talks about that she talks about you know the other shit that was going on in the world at the time and there's a whole preamble to that too where she leads up to those two paragraphs but and she does it very succinctly. Like every episode only has like two or three pages written up about it. You know, it's not like a big, long, ranty diatribe like I'm giving you right now. Anyway, Nikki Stafford, you rule. You're the MVP of this episode. Not really, it's Buffy. But, you know, she's a side MVP. We have an anti-MVP, a main MVP, and a side MVP of this episode. Okay, I just realized I didn't read the rest of, like, I got so excited about those paragraphs and I knew I was going to read them for you that I didn't read the rest of the episode guide, so I just paused it to read the rest of it real quick. And um, I really like that Nikki Stafford also noticed the whole thing about, like, the portent, the precursor to the Superstar episode we're going to see next season about Jonathan that I talked about earlier. Um, Let's see. When Willow interrogates Jonathan, she tells him, we all have fantasies that we're respected, powerful, and people to pay attention to us, and that sometimes you have to make people pay attention. Could this have been the suggestion that sparked his later behavior in Superstar? I thought about that. Like, you know, Willow's got some real evil tendencies, you know, and like her, 
you can tell that, like, Jonathan has had no thoughts of that kind while she's putting all that shit into his head and trying to, like, get him to confess to something. You can tell that he's just like, what? What are you talking about? I Yeah, I peed in the pool. Um, but I think that's a different episode that he talks about peeing in the pool. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Okay. Um, what else do we have to say? I guess we can do all the... So the, the whole episode ends with, you know, Buffy fighting the lunch lady when they discover that it's her and she comes out with the meat cleaver and it's just very comical and silly and just kind of a throwaway thing. Um, cause the real issue was Jonathan and the clock tower, but I see that they didn't want him to actually be planning mass murder. Um, they didn't want to quite go that deep. Um, I think it could have been a little bit more impactful if they had, but I see that they didn't they just didn't want Jonathan to ever have evil intentions. And because they have plans for him beyond this episode, um, I understand that. Um, and I do, I do prefer the fact that they chose a kid that we already knew instead of it just being some random person that they have in a one-off episode. Um, and I like that they kind of have the conversation, Giles and Buffy, at the very, very end, the very last scene, she's talking about how she's been checking on him. He's been suspended from school because he brought a gun to school and all this stuff. Um, and hopefully he's getting therapy. I don't think they really talk about that, but he was planning to kill himself with a fucking rifle. Like, wouldn't that be really difficult to like, why wouldn't you just have a shotgun? But anyway, whatever. For impact, he had to have a rifle. Um... But the whole episode ends with Giles slamming into a tree because she's like, and you had sex with my mom, you know, like, or whatever. She brings it up and he slams into the tree and it's funny. So that's the end of the episode. Let's do our research. Our research? No, not our research. Um, that was all I got for research. It's just, I wanted to read you that little part of the episode guide and, um, now I really need to look and see if she actually does have an angel episode guide because I'm buying that shit. I'm doing it. No questions asked as long as I can find it for less than 15 bucks because <laughs> I'm very cheap. Um, let's see. Okay, so object of the episode, like I said, um, I did write it down as newspaper dudes set up. Um, I don't really want the metal desk because I have nowhere to put it. Although I would love to have one, theoretically. But I want his chair and I want the IBM Selectric so I can give it to my mom. Quote of the episode, like I said before, was Oz's quote. Let's say it again, just because it's fun. I am my thoughts. If they exist in her, Buffy contains everything that is me. She becomes me. I cease to exist. No one else exists either. Buffy is all of us. We think, therefore, she is. So that's the quote of the episode. MVP is totally Buffy because despite all that shit, she was able to talk someone out of killing themselves with empathy, with displaying empathy for someone. She used what she learned with this traumatic experience immediately to help someone. And that's pretty cool. I wish, I know we do see that kind of aspect of Buffy as counselor reappear and as a theme several other times throughout the series, but I kind of wish we'd seen even more of that, you know, because almost always she fights with her fists instead of, you know, her logic. But it's cool. It's cool to see that in the moments that we do get to see it. So Buffy's M MVP of the episode. All the outfits were fucking terrible in this episode, guys. I really had to, like, 
grasp at straws to get a good outfit. So the one that I chose is the one that we see in the very last scene, Buffy. It's it's the only one that's just like it's decent. Like every other every other like accessory and outfit in this whole episode was just atrocious. Like Willow at one point was just wearing this bright red like sweatshirt with this weird indecipherable necklace. At one point Buffy was wearing this like yellow heart necklace that had a cross on it that was just kind of confusing like what was going on. Like it looked like it had wings and a cross and it was all inside of a yellow heart. It was very strange. At this point, 1999, like, fashion was starting to go downhill real bad. When this series began, like, it was hard to pick a favorite because they were all so awesome. Like, fashion was amazing in the first two seasons of this show, but season three is where it starts to plummet, and it just gets worse from there. So it's going to be harder and harder. I might even have to eventually take the whole outfit of the episode thing out of the stats because it's just going to get worse. Um, but her outfit at the very end was okay. It was classy. It was um, black knee boots, uh, just a long sleeve, simple black shirt, and then a knee length white skirt that was kind of interesting because it had like two layers. It had like the lining layer was like several inches shorter than the outer layer, which was kind of transparent. So you got to see like these little peaks of her leg. Um, but it wasn't like, you know, too revealing. It was just cool. It was a cool design of a skirt and the fact that it was like black shirt, white skirt, black boots. She just looked cute and classy and simple and elegant, you know? Um, but so that gets to be outfit of the episode simply because it was the only fucking choice. Like, I don't even remember where Cordelia was wearing this episode. Buffy was wearing a lot of like weird mom outfits and like she was wearing like this fucking like baby pink sweater thing Ugh, it's just anyway all the outfits were terrible in this episode like did they fire their costume designer what the fuck happened <sighs> like even in 1999 you could find i mean you could find good fashion still in 1999 like fashion really gets terrible around 0102 you know, they could have still gotten some good moments. I don't know. Maybe I think it does kind of get a little bit better, at least at the beginning of season four. We'll see. Um, five by five ratings. As far as my, um, I do like a score out of five, the treatment of women in the episode. This episode was written by a woman and we do get to see a lot of moments of like actual friendship between Willow and Buffy. This episode absolutely passes the Bechdel test because most of the time Willow and Buffy are talking, they're talking about what Buffy's going through. Um, other than that, we don't really see any women over interact with each other at all. Cordelia and Buffy never interact with each other. Um, oh, Buffy inter interacts with her mom and her mom's worried about her, of course. So that passes the Bechdel test. Um, I guess women aren't treated as less than at all in this episode and they have conversations with each other not about men uh, i do dock some points for there not being any interaction between cordelia and buffy cordelia just or buffy just totally dismisses cordelia all the time and i think at this point it's really dumb to do that but you guys know how i feel about that 
Like, now that I'm not talking about how everyone's disrespectful towards Faith all the time, I'm talking about people being disrespectful towards Cordelia instead. That's what I do, and I will continue doing it. I'm sure she's disrespected on the Angel series all the time. So that will get to be a continued theme forever. Um, now that we're going to talk about Angel. Um, so I'll give it a four for that because, you know, there aren't enough women in this show. So that definitely gets at least half a point taken off. Like the fact that Cordelia and Buffy never even interact in this episode. She just pretends that Cordelia's not there. Everybody just pretends Cordelia's not there. You know, you could easily take her out and it would be like barely any impact to the plot most of the time, unfortunately. I keep thinking I'm going to move on from Cordelia, but I don't. <laughs> sorry about it. Sorry, not sorry. Okay overall enjoyment of the episode like I think this is an important episode and it has a lot of funny moments Xander fucking pisses me off in this episode and there's some other little moments that piss me off obviously because I've been talking for an hour and 45 minutes but overall I think this is a good episode I think this is an important episode I think this is an episode that you don't for you don't skip you know they really should have just I think you know if they were going to postpone this episode they should have just pushed back the entire rest of of the season like a week or two maybe even three if they really felt like they needed to then they could have had a nice little PSA at the beginning of this episode they could have still played every episode in context you know that's what I think why didn't they do it that way why didn't they listen to me <laughs> 20 years in the future telling them what the fucking do 20 years ago okay so my overall enjoyment of the episode it's a good one it's an important one Hmm, I'm stalling. I'll give it a four. So four times four. Y'all know I'm really bad with that particular equation. Four, eight, twelve, sixteen. So this episode gets a sixteen, which means we can actually talk about the whole season's stats at this point. Let me go back to them. Okay. So um, I just went through and added all of my scores for each episode and averaged it. So if you're interested, um, during season three, the average score for each episode is 11. Um, as far as MVP, that's the other stat that I kept track of here. Um, Buffy gets MVP five times, including this episode. Cordelia gets it also five times. Cordelia and Buffy are tied for MVP, although that doesn't really count because Buffy's sort of the MVP of every episode. I hate saying MVP over and over. Joyce gets MV MVP once. Faith gets it four times, Giles gets it seven, Willow two, Angel one, Ethan, Rain one, Oz twice. So Giles gets it, I mean Buffy is the real number one. Giles gets it especially um, as Giles is the, maybe we should call it supporting character, best supporting actor of the episode or something. I don't know. Maybe we should rename it so I don't have to say MVP. And because, you know, like it's always Buffy. It's called Buffy the Vampire Slayer for a reason. Um, so Giles gets it for this season. Anyway, um, what else should we talk about as far as like end of season stuff? Because we're here. I mean, even though this isn't the end of the season, this is the last episode of the season we're going to talk about. Um, I enjoyed it overall, but like I said earlier in this episode, like I would have previously stated that season three was my favorite episode or season, but 
I don't think that it is now that I've put super analysis into it. So I'm curious to see how my opinions of the future seasons will change in this particular lens. So with that said, that's a good segue to, I am so excited to be back in the swing of things with you guys. I really am. I mean, this podcast may be a lot of work and it happens to fall on a fucking Saturday. (laughs) So I work a lot of Saturdays, but even if I have a Saturday off, it's just like, it's weird to spend my whole like first half of the day on Saturday working on a podcast, but that's okay. I mean, that's all right. I I am dedicated and I do love doing this. Um, But I hope you guys are having, I hope you guys had a great summer since I didn't really talk to you. I hope you had a really great summer and I am really excited for fall to begin. So if you're listening to this in real time in 2019 on Saturday, September 21st, happy fall in a few days. Um, The equinox is the 23rd. That's really late, isn't it? Like, isn't normally like the 20th or the 21st? Anyway, it's the 23rd this year for some reason. And so happy first day of fall. I'm really excited to get into the fall months and I'm really excited to like Seriously, you guys, I'm going to get to talk to you every single week in October and every single week in November and one week in December, but that's pretty cool. Like we get to rebond again and I'm very excited to talk about season four. It's an underappreciated season in my opinion, although we'll see through extreme analysis, I'll either love it even more or a lot less. Um, I also am excited to talk about Angel, even though I'm not really that into Angel as a show. Like I said before, it's going to be fun to go on that journey with you guys. Um, Let me know your thoughts on everything. I'd love to hear from you. Um, MixtressRay at Yahoo or Gmail or MixtressRadio at Gmail. (laughs) I have several emails, like really any of them will work, but um, email me MixtressRadio at Gmail if any of your thoughts and I will read them on the air. We could talk about some shit together, but, um, I had thought originally that I might do like a season three recap episode or something next week, but I have to work next week and I've got a couple other things I've got to get taken care of next week. So, and I don't really know what we would talk about to recap season three. You know, we've talked about season three ad nauseum. We really have. So we're, I'm going to go ahead and like, oh God, it was just so hard. I need to take next week off, you know? <laughs> but yeah, I will be back in two weeks, October 5th. We're going to talk about episode one of season four and also episode one ever of Angel. So it's going to be a supersized episode just like this one. <laughs> They probably will all be about two hours long from now on. So strap in, guys. Um, Love you so much. I will see you in two weeks. Um, Very excited about it. Um, I also have... uh, I can't tell you guys yet. I can't tell you, but I'm pretty sure I'll have an exciting thing to debut um, in two weeks. So stay tuned for that. And I will see you then. Bye.